Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here with The Pure Now Show. This is episode number 24. My guest today is Ben Marriott. Ben Marriott is a motion designer living in the greater Sydney area of Australia. After years of working in the corporate world, he is now 100% freelance as a motion designer, has his own YouTube channel, and is offering animation courses to young up-and-coming animators. Here we go. Hey, Ben. Hello, Mark. How are you? Excellent. Thanks. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for coming on the Pure Now Show. Really appreciate having you on. It's great to be here. You're in Sydney? Yes, I'm in Sydney, Australia. That's right. You are a well-known motion designer, animator. Actually, we're big fans of your work here at Balance, and that's why you're on the show. We love what you do. We feel a kinship towards you and also are thrilled for you to be able to talk about teaching and instructing people on how to become animators, better animators. You review their work. You give good critiques and help people ensure a good future in the business. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for the very kind words. Let's start from the beginning. Everybody has a spark or some kind of influential event early on in their lives that kind of puts them on this creative path. What was it for you that was this event or conditions that guided you on your way to want to become a creative professional? My earliest memory is of picking out colored pencils when I was about two or so. So like... Art and creativity has been a part of my life for, you know, literally as long as I can remember. So always drawing when I was a kid. I mean, for many people, for many creatives, that's our, you know, our escape and um, way to funnel our attention into something constructive. So really, that was a big part of it. The one thing that I do remember, particularly that diverted me into sort of more design and being a you know creative professional was... Definitely when I was about 16 or so. Are you familiar with the documentary Helvetica? Yes. Yeah, um, I saw that. And it was the first piece of like media that I saw. It was just on TV. Oh, it's my life during high school. And there was just people talking so emphatically about what up until that point, I thought was the most minute details that no one else really cared about. And I was like, oh my God, these people are so passionate about this typeface. They're talking about it for an hour and I don't think anyone I'd ever spoken to in my entire life had paid any more attention to a font than just choosing it in Microsoft Word. And I was like, these are my people. I want I want to do this. And at that point, I'd been you know, using Photoshop for a, a while, just making posters and things like that. But I never saw any... Uh, you know, formal sort of realization of the, you know, this is what professionals do. So that was a big spark that made me think, okay, I want to study design. This is what I want to do with my life. Because until then, all creativity was just, like, oh, well, you become a fine artist, but no one really becomes a fine artist, only the very tiniest percentage. So that gave me a, you know, an avenue to, to be like, oh, well, this is a, a, a viable career path. So what was that transitional phase that took you from being a, a young person drawing to making the move into the digital world. Acquiring a copy of Photoshop, we shall say, when I was about um, 14, I think. And I just loved playing on the computer. Like I was always on the computer making stuff. I remember my first animations were in PowerPoint when I was 13 and you just create shapes on a slide. And we'd, me and my friends would get really quite detailed just using like the rectangles and circle tools. So there'd be like 400 shapes stacked up on one slide. And then you duplicate that slide and then move a few elements. And then you'd repeat that like, like it's a stop motion animation. And then at the end, you'd um, go to play slideshow and then you just hold your finger on the space bar. So it would just flick through the slides as fast as it could. 
and like we made animations and it was really I don't know, just novel. And I don't think that, you know, magic of animation has quite worn off um, just yet. I'm still um, still enamored with it. But I think that was that was the first first leap into it then. And I think um, I stayed relatively comfortable in the digital space since then, but still always wanting to still use traditional media when I can. Well, speaking of, my understanding is most recently you have gone back into traditional media and have been painting. Yeah, it was mainly like a, a quarantine hobby. I'd realized that I was spending almost all of my, you know, working time and then downtime looking at a screen. And I figured I wanted a hobby or something I can do on weekends or after work that is it's not me, you know, doing digital art or playing games or watching movies on a screen. Something I could at least rest my eyes and um, take up a new skill because I never used oil paints before. So I thought, well, I'll give these a go. They'll be they'll be fun. And I just loved it. I much prefer them to acrylic. To me, it feels like easy mode because they don't dry so quickly. I'd never having to like match colors, which was a nightmare for me using acrylic. So I just, I loved it. And it was fun to just put on an audio book and um, take a photo of a reference and, um, you know, just, just paint away with no specific goal besides, you know, in a couple of hours, have a sort of lookalike picture of, a, of this person. Has that influenced your digital work at all now that you've gone back into the traditional world and kind of got a hands-on thing? Has that influenced you at all in what you create now? It certainly changed the way I think about some stuff. Like I'd always used a lot of traditional media in my animations because before I was an animator, I was an illustrator and a lot of my process was still um, traditional. You know, I used to sketch and ink everything and then the only step I would do in the computer would be uh, coloring in Photoshop. And then I began the process of, you know, like scanning all these uh, textures, largely watercolor and acrylic textures that I had made before. And then I think a lot of my early work animating was just having those looping textures, having as much grain and trying to get as much as much traditional media into the software as possible to make it look as, as least digital as possible. Just trying to remove as much of the digital fingerprint as possible. And recently I've, you know, embrace some of the um, benefits and the aesthetics of, of, of the digital animation, which I, I, re I really enjoy, especially in the motion graphic space. But yeah, it's um, changed the way I think about it a, a little bit. I spend a lot more time in the design phase now, planning things out before getting into the animation stage, into the computer. I find the more time I spend on paper beforehand, before I get into, um, into the computer, the better the work becomes because even just sitting at a computer even if you're typing notes in an app or if you're sketching in photoshop there's always an internet browser right there you have the whole world at your fingertips and also just in the software so many shortcuts that you can take before fleshing out an idea properly too often i find myself just needing those limitations um, so i don't get distracted or you know compromise the work by um you know cutting corners too early or anything like that so that, that's something I've been thinking about more lately, especially with the oil painting, because it's much harder to undo when you've, uh, right. when you've got paint. Yeah, there's no command Z. Yeah, and that's interesting because the modern designer is pretty much glued to the screen. And those old skills, those tactile skills are, are not leveraged. So there's some thinking that is taken out of the equation as well, maybe, because you're not really physically in that space beforehand and you're just allowing tools, plugins, other things to guide a lot of your thought process. So it's pretty fascinating that you have taken a step back and uh, reap the rewards of a physical experience. Not that, you know, creating on the computer isn't physical, but really from a different perspective of 
of how you express yourself preliminarily before you go in and start moving things around, as it were. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I couldn't say it better myself. That's, that's, a, that's a great way to put it. That's exactly correct. So you've done your PowerPoint thing. You've tickled your inquisitive nature and you want to obviously dive deeper into that world of motion graphics and movement. How did you further yourself along? Was it through school? What was your, your next phase of development in becoming a motion graphics designer? I studied um, graphic design at, at university, and the first time I ever used After Effects was in the final year. We had to do a, a video presentation of, um, you know, pitching an idea for a company. We had to make had to make some videos for an assignment, and I just wanted to add, you know, more more stuff to it. Then, uh, and I thought that would make it more interesting, so I could get a few more jokes out of it. It was essentially we were recreating the Cuban Revolution in my friend's backyard, and I'd wanted to track the head of Che Guevara onto on, on onto my friend uh, because we were talking about um uh, I think it was the pop culture you know the, the design of him the graphic design of him his face on shirts and uh, propaganda and popular culture that's what the assignment was about but I just loved uh, using After Effects and I found it really fun and I didn't probably revisit it properly professionally until maybe two three years after that because after uni I worked as a as an illustrator barely working as an illustrator because I had very little experience. But um, I learned a lot of digital illustration skills in those two years. But I found that I had a tiny bit of animation skills. I used a little bit of animation, mostly a little bit of frame by frame in Photoshop. And just that tiny fraction of animation skills got me a lot more jobs than the illustration skills because there's way fewer animators than there are um, illustrators. Like in the same way, like, uh, cameras enabled you know, everyone to be to be a photographer a lot of the drawing tools and like being able to digitize art allowed everyone to be an illustrator like obviously and i think that's a great thing both of these things are great things for um creativity but um i found it very hard to stand out at that time in particular i was very shy i didn't like sharing my work or posting my work so having just a tiny bit of leverage with some animation skills meant that i just got more of that work and then i thought well the more I did of that work, the more I enjoyed doing of that work. And that just kind of snowballed and they kind of bounced off each other until um, that was what I was doing, um, you know, full, full time, essentially. You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. So let's talk about you entering the professional world. You did some freelance, you were getting some gigs as an illustrator. How did your trajectory change to put you more in touch with becoming an animator? I know you've been an animator, motion designer for like the past seven years, but you've been in the business for over 10 years now. How did you make certain decisions hmm. on going into a specific area and wanting to become more proficient as an animator? My first full-time job I got about two, maybe it was my third year out of uni after being, you know, getting by as an illustrator. And that was a, a job listing for a, um, uh, for an illustrator at a video production company to illustrate the assets for a, um, for the animations. And I figured that would be great, getting paid full time to draw every day and perfect my craft. At least that would be um, a great experience. And then like once I was in that job for a while, I just found the animation process way more fun. By the animation stage, a lot of the client feedback is reduced because you know, they have more opinions on the designs. Creating the designs and the back and forth with the client was my you know, least favorite part. And yeah, I found just the animation a lot more fun. So slowly 
Like I knew a little bit of animation then, but slowly over, I think it was three years in staff positions as a, at video production companies, I slowly became less of a designer, illustrator, and more of an animator, just taking on slightly bigger projects with more animation required. And I just try to take ownership and, you know, make the animation the best bit that I could so that I got put on more projects like that. Then I just uh, went into freelance as soon as I figured, well, this is what I want to do and freelance is going to give me um, the freedom to do it uh, more on my own terms. First of all, I, I, I would think it was important that you had a foundation of illustration and design in order for you to make that leap. And for you know our audience that's watching the show, there's a lot of young freelancers who are looking at how they can develop their professional career. If they want to be animators, you know what kind of uh, prerequisite knowledge do they need? Has illustration been kind of the springboard for you? to get you to take these things that you could create in two dimension and make them move and give them dimension. Definitely. I feel very fortunate that I happened to spend those years, um, when I spent four years studying graphic design at uni and then two years being a freelance illustrator. And like having six years like creating visual work, you know, semi-professionally at the start when I was in uni, but six years really dedicated to making things look good and learning about composition and visual storytelling before I was um, really tempted and sucked in by motion, I think has really helped me. Just having that foundation, I think is important. And I think if I was to discover After Effects when I was a lot younger, when I was 16 or something, I might've just been tempted to go down that road and just make things um, feel great in motion, which I do love as well. But I think um, like those design skills, like. Having a good design, I think, is the most important factor in an animation. If something's designed well, and there's just a tiny bit of animation that's subtle, it'll look great. But if the design is bad, it doesn't matter how much animation you do to it, it it's never going to look um, any better than that. So I think um, that's, yeah, I've been lucky to um, have stumbled in this path in the order that I did. So I would definitely advise anyone who's wanting to up their work in any way, more time, focused on design, learning uh, design skills, or even just more time in the design process. And at a broader scale, like stepping back and just focusing on thumbnails and composition and those things, I think it can really help. Like the difference between in the composition can be 80% you know, of the result of, your, of the animation or the end product. Whereas focusing on you know the easing of a certain element, that'll that'll help a bit, that'll help tie things up, but it's not gonna, that's gonna make little, little dints at, at the quality of, of the work. But if you wanna make big, strong foundational changes, I think it has to happen during the design process. Let's talk about your experience in school. I know that school is also foundational where uh, you get an opportunity to build your bag of capabilities and skills. What was your university experience and how did that more inform you about the direction you wanted to take? I had a great time at, at uni. Um, I definitely have mixed opinions on whether it's um, uh, important or whether people should do that um, if they're looking to get, get a career. But I had a great experience. I went to the University of New South Wales, um, COFA, the College of Fine Arts, it was called then. Now it's called Art and Design. Um, and I did, I did a bachelor's in design. So it was a very broad degree um, of all sorts of design. I majored in graphic design and object design. So I, we spent equal amounts of time in Photoshop as we did um, like designing furniture and um, ceramics and, and stuff like that. So it was very holistic view of design, which I think is great. That did mean we were kind of lacking when we graduated, when we were you know, in an actual production pipeline of how graphics get made when like, oh, we knew all about composition and the, the ideas and concepts behind design, but um, maybe not all the technical skills, which 
looking back is probably fortunate because I think it's a lot harder to learn those more abstract conceptual ideas. Um, technical skills are very easy now to learn. There's you know people making tutorials on the internet. But I had a great time. I think if anything, just meeting like-minded people, being in that environment that does nurture you and encourage you to just spend a lot of time on ideas and, and working on things and having the free time. I know we had 12 hours a week. We were actually in lessons, in, in lectures and, and tutorials. And back then I thought like, oh, that's a, that's a really long time. Now it's like, oh, we were so lucky. We didn't even know. We'd have like 10 weeks to make, um, you know, one assignment. And like now it's like, oh, like in the professional world, you've got, you know, before lunch, you have to do the same amount of work. I think it was really great for me, especially if you're in countries, like my main issue uh, and why I think you know, I might not recommend tertiary education for a lot of people in creative fields is just the cost in some countries. In Australia, it was pretty cheap. It's, it's very good. It was, I think, very good value. For, I think four years it cost, I think, 20,000 Australian dollars, which is maybe um, 15,000 American dollars. And I know equivalent degrees in America could be well over a hundred thousand dollars and you know I'm not I'm not sure it's a smart idea to go into debt like that much debt for a um a creative profession that you know where employment isn't guaranteed but if you've got the the time if you've got the money that like it's one of the best ways to learn and it and it's it's a great experience as well or certainly I found it at the very least. And the fact that you were working with like-minded people people were interested in a similar subject matter and had a similar trajectory did you maintain any of those relationships? Are you aware of some of your classmates that went on to achieve some success in the business? Oh, absolutely. I've got a couple of close friends that I, like really close friends that I've stayed in touch with. Like that's some of my, my strongest bonds that I have, have, have at the moment. Um, like and we've all gone in completely different directions. Like we all started studying graphic design and now I'm animating on YouTube. One of my friends has created a startup that just launched called uh, Design Stripe which is really excellent sort of illustration tool for people that want illustration. And one of my um, close friends, that's uh, James Daly, and my other uh, close friend, Sam Shannon from uni, he's doing a lot of VR stuff at, at the moment as well. With his, um, He's working for a company called Masterpiece VR. And it's been great following all our journeys and just having that community around you, like having people talk about it, because a lot of people, I would assume, certainly I was, the, the people around me in my family and, and school, uh, like my high school, weren't particularly as interested in creative stuff as I was. So I didn't have that much of a, a community that I could rely on to talk to people about and get ideas and just, um, you know, it, like not encouragement. I certainly got encouragement, uh, for, certainly for my family. But, um, but you know, it's different being able to talk to people that have uh, that experience and the same sort of goals and ambitions. And I think that's really, really helpful. And if you're not able to go to university or if you don't have that um, around you at the moment, I think seeking it out online, there's a lot more opportunities for that now, certainly than when I was younger. And how has that been with your family? Did you get the support and nurturing, you know, as you were growing up and you, you started to feel this calling? Uh, were your parents supportive of you and helped guide you in some kind of direction or were you just kind of a, a man on an island trying to figure it out for yourself? No, no, they were, they were very encouraging. That's one thing that was certainly like one avenue they like encouraged me fully. Like any art supplies I wanted or needed, they provided those. You know, I went to an extracurricular art class after school in high school, like once a week. Uh, we'd go to the studio and you know learn new skills for for a couple of hours and it was really great i'm really thankful for that opportunity and, and encouragement now that i've uh, become a, a secure at least in a creative profession take it admit to me like hey son 
We honestly thought you'd be working at McDonald's for the rest of your life, but if you were happy doing it and making art, that was fine. So I'm, I'm glad. I, I, um, I was very lucky in that regard to have such a such supportive parents. Well, let's talk about your other really, really important support. You have two really critical support mechanisms. Of course, your wife, Zoe, and, uh, and your yes. creative assistant, Kim Chi. Your mm-hmm. Chihuahua, and both of them are still employed by you. They're still with you by your side, uh, supporting you. They are. They are. They're in the other rooms at the moment, helping me uh, get set up earlier. Yeah, they've been great to have Zoe. Um, yeah, she's fantastic. Like we've both been doing this full time, working. It sounds well, working for our company on YouTube. But we've been doing that for two years now, and it's been um, great. She's a fantastic producer. She helps with um, the editing and uh, admin and any all the production side, keeping me on track. Um, essentially, and kimchi just helps with um, keeping up m- motivation. Your morale booster. Well, that's pretty fascinating that you're a, a husband and wife team in that way. That doesn't always work out well for people to be in close quarters. And uh, speaking of close quarters, of course, uh, Australia, like everywhere else in the world, experienced the pandemic in a variety of ways. And I would imagine that there was a shift for you in how you conducted your business, how you worked with your clients. How did that directly affect you personally and affect you professionally? To be honest, it has probably affected me professionally um, less than a lot of people, because at that point, I started on this full time the end of 2019. So before any of the pandemic happened, we were already working from home. We were already full time on YouTube and really we just continued as normal making uh, YouTube videos and developing courses and things like that. So we didn't find we had to you know, change our business model um, too much at all. Certainly, um, you know, socially and outside of work, it was a different experience as it is for, you know, what's for everyone, what was and continues to be for, you know, pretty much everyone in the world. But I feel very fortunate that our business wasn't struck hard by that. I think very lucky that we work for ourselves, by ourselves with very little overhead and still access to our clients is directly through um, YouTube and the internet, which um, you know, wasn't, wasn't really disrupted. So yeah. I'm very fortunate for that. Do you think because of the way business has changed, that maybe it served advantageous to you in some ways where we become a digital content generating machine that people are looking for simple, effective, animated tools that they can use to convey their brand message. And with the advent of heavy social media marketing, do you think that the pandemic actually stimulated some of the work that you do and got your clients thinking in another way that maybe made you even busier? Potentially. So I haven't been taking any um, freelance clients for, for two years as well. So my, my clients are only my subscribers and, and, and my students of my course as well. But I didn't notice a massive uptick in views, like really at all. Like if you saw the the graph of views, you wouldn't be able to spot the pandemic in a graph. I know some channels did. I know um, a blender guru said he had like a 30% increase in views over, you know, starting in um, 2020. And I didn't notice anything like that, but I certainly think, well, especially with you know, no one being able to do um, live shoots or having a lot more difficulty with them in, in 2020 and more people went to animated content. And then I think people who are into animated content wanted to learn more about animation. So they would have come to my channel through there. So I think through a few steps, uh, probably has given more attention to my channel and things like that. And also I think um, a lot of people working from home and with the, you know, the great resignation and things like that. Some people are looking for more um, fulfilling creative careers working for themselves. So I think After Effects and design and animation is probably something they would um, have looked to, look to there. You're listening to The Pure Now Show. 
a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. What was your, or what was a, a deciding factor for you to go away from a traditional artist-client relationship and go full-time into the YouTube and the teaching model? I just have a lot more fun making videos for ourselves. It's a lot more rewarding knowing that every effort that I put into the business, like I'm going to reap the rewards. It can be very, you know, very rewarding on client projects. Certainly I had great experiences there on creating work with um, with the team and creating an awesome product. But a lot of the time I create some work and then I can't show it because it's under an NDA. So no one else can can see that. And that that's kind of, it's, you know, it's, it's, hard, it's a hard pill to swallow sometimes, but that's just the nature of the beast. And also having the chance to remove clients and client feedback and that process from my life, I thought was too good of an opportunity to pass up because I love problem solving and having a client and a design brief. I think that's you know necessary, certainly for me to get good creative content out of me. But uh, not having to rely on that was great because yeah, I don't think anyone loves the process of adjusting their designs because of what a client said, even though in a lot of cases um, that can make the designs better. Um, but yeah, I just thought, if I cannot do this, why not? And because of the way things have changed, do you feel that you're getting a lot more young people? I mean, because we're in this mode of work from home and uh, a lot of people don't want to just do a job to do a job, to earn a living, to pay their expenses for life, that they can learn how to do something creative and maybe find out things about themselves, find new skills, new passions, and be able to continue to support themselves through something that's a lot more fun, clearly, and not have to go out and, so to speak, work for the man. Yeah, uh, definitely. I think so. I think um, I think sentiment about that is definitely changing in, in that direction. And certainly when I was younger, seeing that documentary about Hel- Helvetica, the typeface, and I've realized people can do this professionally. And I think there's a lot more awareness of that with the younger generations now. And being able to see people, um, especially like on, on YouTube, regardless of being a, like a, an animator in the motion graphics page, just being on YouTube, people like that's what all the young kids watch. That's what people my age watch. We all watch YouTube more than um, regular TV and media. And the people we watch and look up to there, we see them as, you know, oh, these are small business owners that are professionals and being able to work on their own terms and be successful in that way. And then offered, you know, any skill or any hobby or passion you're into there's a whole world of it online on youtube on instagram on any way you can look there are these communities so i think people are finding their hobbies and interests and then seeing people who that's their job to do that and i think that is inspiring to a lot of people it certainly was um was for me like one of the big reasons i got into making content for youtube was i saw some of my peers creating content on social media and being really successful and getting a lot more of attention on their work and i thought oh, that's really exciting i hope some of my viewers um, get some of that excitement as well Tell me about how you're deciding on the kind of content you create. Obviously, diversity is really important. Everybody's creating content. Everybody's making something. But it's Mm -hmm. not all getting seen, and not everybody can earn a living from it. What's the difference, in your opinion, between people that are just having fun and making content versus people that are actually online making original content and figuring out how to monetize it? Uh, yeah, it, it's tricky. That's a, a big can of worms, and uh, I've got lots of opinions on uh, all the stages um, of that process. I think, like one thing that, because there's content, there's content that I want to make, and there's content that I know will perform well on YouTube. I think everyone knows and are annoyed that you know you have to have a sensational title and a, a thumbnail with some 
reacting like this and, you know, a big red arrow pointing to something that, like, why is there something pointing to that or a circle and things like that. Um, and the unfortunate truth is all of those things work. If you have a thumbnail like that, it will get substantially more views. And when this is your, your, your job, your business, you have to make a business decisions that there's not the good creative decisions. No one wants to make a thumbnail like that. Ideally, we want to have an artsy, just like a flat background and just one word. And then like the title is, you know, untitled brackets animation, something vague that's mysterious, but that's not going to get seen by anyone. That's not going to get clicked. Like that's much cooler and we all think, oh, that's got artistic integrity. But if no one sees it, that's a problem, especially if you wanted to make a living from it. But also if you bow down to all of those things, then the content just becomes hollow. It is only the advertisement for the content and not the actual content itself. And I think as long as you have a balance where you can be so sensational upfront, but as long as you deliver, on that, that promise in the video, it's not clickbait. The uh, the channel Veritasium, uh, Derek from that channel, I think he coined the term legit bait, which I like to think of that whenever I have to make any of those decisions that I'm like, I don't like that I have to name my videos this or anything like that. I think, no, 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 as long as it's getting seen by more people and that's for the, the greater good of not only for the business, but for hopefully the community as well, because that keeps it sustainable. And I think you do have to make compromises like that. Like in any business, we took on projects that were just for the clients and the money that weren't going on the showreel, but you know, you have to get paid to keep the lights on. Right. Even though you're doing your own thing now, are you getting any kind of rate of response from a, a professional audience that is seeking you out and you have to say no to? I mean, saying no, of course, is probably one of the most beautiful things you can say to somebody and your time is clearly filled with generating your own content and teaching. Uh, how much work could you be getting in if you were willing to accept it? And have you just put it out there in the universe like, that's not my thing anymore, I'm doing this. What is kind of the demand rate for you at this point? Yeah, that, that's very accurate. At the moment, I'm getting less and less because the people that reach out to me kind of know now that you know I'm out of the freelance game. But certainly uh, having a lot of content out, you know, with my name, my animations attached was beneficial. I did get a lot more um, in inquiries from uh, clients. You know, th that was the end goal, essentially. It was my first year of freelance. And at the end of that year, I'd reached the goals that I wanted to hit, which was not being homeless, being able to support myself and being booked consistently. And I still had, you know, a decent amount of downtime to work on personal projects. So I figured, well, where can I go from here? If I wanted to, to grow, you know, my, my business as a freelancer, there's only so many hours a day that I can put in and only so high that I can increase my day rate and only so many creative projects that I can take on. So I figured, well, if I create content in my downtime, like tutorials, because I found out that when I released the process of something on Instagram, it got a lot more views than the actual work itself. And my goal was to just, you know, share my ideas of my funny little animations. So I figured, well, if I make a tutorial on how to make it, more people are gonna see it. And hopefully the byproduct is more people will hire me and will inquire about me working for them and doing it more in a style of what I like to do. And then I found like the channel took off way faster than I was ever expecting, more than any idea that I planned. In my head, I thought if I got to 10,000 subscribers by the end of the first year, that's enough for me to continue to pursuing this. And I thought that was a really lofty, ambitious goal at the start. And then the channel just 
really took off in a way that I wasn't expecting. And eight months later, you know, I was doing that full time and had to just decide that I'm going to turn down all the freelance offers from then. But that was a, a slow, gradual process where it's like, okay, as the YouTube channel's taking off, I can kind of peter down the amount of freelance clients I take. So there was a nice overlap. So I wasn't just leaving my job, flipping my desk over and saying, I'm out of here. I'm doing YouTube now. And then um, I hope that that works. There was a, a nice smooth transition um, as, as much as you, you could hope for, I suppose. And for young people out there that are considering going down this path and you have gone off the traditional rails and really mm. taken this on yourself. And this is probably kind of an evolutionary step that the industry is taking where a lot of people don't want to do the day-to-day -day feedback, revisions, that kind of really challenging work and want to just be creative and make their own content and monetize it. What kind of advice do you have for people who are interested in doing this kind of work a little differently? First of all, encourage them as much as possible to see how much, well, okay, let, let, me, let me take a step back. Because I, I agree, it's very, it's not heartbreaking, but I find it disappointing that I see there's so much incredible, incredible work, beautiful animation, beautiful design, beautiful stories, but it's to, for a brand so they can sell more of their products, more of their widget, which is unrelated. I think if this energy was put into, you know, creating short films or stories or entertainment, that's where, you know, the magic is. And I think hopefully with things like YouTube and I think now with more streaming platforms, people are able to do that more often. There's more of a, a market for it because I think I mean, it's still largely there is, the money is in with the corporate clients. So that's where a lot of that, the work that has the budget um, that, therefore has the ability to become great quality gets made so i think as much as you can put work into like personal projects do things out of your job and focus your energy there so i have two kind of uh, ideas about this one is if you're working it can be really creatively draining working creatively sometimes people say oh you should get a, a part-time job waiting tables or working at a bar and then spend your free time putting all your creative energy into you know your personal project and your side project and i think that's that's a fine opportunity that's one way to go about it the way i did it was a lot more hesitant less less confident less um i'm just going to go out and do it on myself like i was very cautious making sure i had you know backup plans to figure out oh, if this youtube doesn't go to plan i can always go back to freelance and if the freelance didn't go well i could always go back to a staff position and if that didn't go well i could always go on the dole go on the center link here i think i would encourage people to just make the work that you want to make if you can't do that in your job do what you can in your your personal time you don't have to spend an extra 40 hours a week on top of your working life creating a masterpiece for an opus don't put yourself in an early grave just to create more content or to create work but i think you should create stuff that makes you fulfilled creatively if you can't get that in in your job you're gonna have to get it from somewhere and i think uh, your own personal projects is the way to do it i i still think of my youtube channel as this is just my latest personal project that happens to have been going for three years now so um time and personal projects i think are necessary and that was certainly my path that i took to get here how do you feel that this transition in creativity is going to play out as social consciousness rises and we have the ability to communicate, tell stories and inspire and move people, do you feel that we're at a point now where making this kind of a move into a non-traditional professional creative role is going to have more of an effect 
on others, where instead of Coca-Cola or some big brand telling an unrelated story to try and get you, that it's just individuals doing this now, and it's coming from them, people. That's their stories, not some imagined story to sell something, but it's really people communicating directly. That's the utopia I imagine. That's really the end goal. Like with my channel, what I always want to do is inspire people to give them the tools to make the stories that they want to make. And part of that involves being able to do your job quickly and effectively and with an organized project file. But yeah, that, that's the dream. That's what I think. Yeah, that's what I think we all want to do in the industry, to be able to tell our own stories, to make what we want to make and get paid well for it and not have a client or have to compromise in any way. And hopefully that's um, on the horizon in some format or certainly increasing yeah, that, that way of thought and those opportunities. Hopefully that's the future. Well, I was looking at your education reel and, and seeing that you were featuring a lot of your students and their fantastic work. And I would imagine that you follow some of these people that you're educating and can you cite any examples of some of your students that have gone on to do unexpected things? Well, I get a lot of messages that I'm always very grateful to read of people that I admire that I'll follow, like I'll find their work and then I'll say, oh, you know, they follow me or they, they comment back that say they watch my tutorials and uh, that's helped them get a job and things like that. And that's the best feeling when someone comments like, oh, I got a job because you are, I got this, this client because I, I learned this technique. That's the most incredible thing to me. I'll just say giving them those opportunities, people taking those opportunities. They did all the work. I just showed up, babbled about After Effects for five minutes. Um, but people making all of that great stuff and finding uh, uh, good jobs and just creating awesome projects together that had some sort of level of inspiration from the channel. It's always very rewarding. You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. I know that you're very passionate about workflow and how that happens. Yes. What is your recipe? What seems to work for you? And it's something that everybody has to deal with in the creative field is workflow, regardless of what avenue they're in. What has been a successful recipe for you in dealing with workflow and making sure that you are staying on the course that you want to stay on and you're able to produce as much work as you do? Planning. One of the reasons I love workflow is I think I have found a good mix for animation where I have enough of the creative side that makes me want to just explore and pump out, create ideas and express myself, but a lot of me that just wants to tinker with things and get things to its most efficiency and all things lined up and as smooth as possible in like sort of more of an engineering sense. But I, I like planning really. And the more I've learned from working at larger studios like Buck, that the amount of work that goes into to planning, to scheduling, to the pre-production phase more than anything, to researching, like designing. The philosophy I like to live by is making tomorrow as easy as possible. What do I have to do today that will make, when I wake up tomorrow, go, oh, I'm glad yesterday me did this, because this is so easy. My After Effects project is all planned, everything's separated into comps, everything's all layered and labeled properly. So like eating your vegetables first, putting off the fun design things until later, and just finding some joy in the process of constructing a, um, a properly formatted um, project file. I find I enjoy the most. I like to challenge myself. I remember in my first art position, I had to make some Photoshop templates and I remember thinking like, right, I'm gonna make the best damn template. This person who's never used Photoshop, they're gonna go in, they're not even gonna realize how easy I made it for them. Mainly because when I've received some people's project files and they're a mess, it's, like, it's a nightmare. It's less work to go and recreate it from scratch yourself. So I put a lot of time into planning and setting things out like that. They say like one minute in planning saves you um, like one hour in, in execution or in construction, something like that. 
but you save a lot of time that way. Measure 10 times, cut once. Exactly. In this industry to be, or I think in any sort of industry, to get a lot of success, I think you have to work hard and get lucky. But you want to get lucky once you've already done that hard work. That's when um, you're going to have this foundation to bounce off and to, to capitalize on whatever lucky break right. you get. So let's just say that you could not do what you're doing for whatever reason it was taken away from you and you had to figure out something else to do with your life to make you happy and pay your bills. Have you ever contemplated what that might be? Yes, often. Like, I get distracted. I'll, I'll watch a YouTube video of, like, someone, ah, oh, he's making a synthesizer out of just a potato. And I think, hmm, I could see myself doing that. And, like, make all these plans. I'm like, no, that's I'm never going to do this. This is going to work. You'll see. Uh, you might say I've got a piano keyboard behind me that I thought, you yeah, know, I'll become a professional musician. I'll start introducing background music into my um, YouTube channel and then slowly I'll lean more into that and then, and then become a rock star. And um, that, that's a bit of a delusion, but it's a, a fun idea I like to have. If I can still work in the creative field, I think I could do almost anything I could find joy in. But uh, at the moment, more filmmaking and like cinematography, I've been obsessed with watching a lot of content about that on, on YouTube and thinking, oh, this looks like a lot of fun, a lot of problem solving. And when I've worked with people on sets, like I'm, I'm watching the, like, the DP and the people set up the lights, I'm like, these, these people are masters, this is amazing. And it certainly inspired me a lot. I don't know if that's too close related to what I'm doing now, but um, yeah. Anything like that, I think I could really, really get behind. In 2022, this year of coming out of the pandemic, people looking for themselves, looking for new things, a complete shift in consciousness is clearly occurring. What's your commentary on that? The world is looking more and more uncertain, more than it ever has, I think, and I think it will continue to be more and more uncertain. But the only thing that will be certain is that there will always be a demand for good, stories good design like it doesn't matter what software it is what the trends are in the industry if you can design something well and communicate a story that is going to be an effective tool that i don't think will ever go out of fashion even like that might be the last thing that the robots take away from us as they march forth in front of us um tearing down every semblance of humanity that'll be the last thing to like at least we at least we had that we held on to that until the last second so i think invest in that and Focus on what makes you you, what makes you unique, but that makes you interesting. And that's what people are going to be more excited for. That's where the demand's going to be. If you can find a way to effectively communicate yourself, your ideas and your interests, whether that's in animation, illustration, design, videos, photography, anything creative or perhaps not creative in your engineering, anything like that, lean into that as much as you can. Ben, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. You're a super nice guy and I uh, really appreciate your time and, and sharing your, your stories and your wisdom with us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me yeah. back. It's been a, it's been a great time. My pleasure. If you enjoyed the Pure Now show, you can check out more episodes at balancestudio.tv or anywhere fine podcasts are broadcast. Pure Now is produced and engineered by Hai Ha Dang and directed by Dong Wun Guan. Thanks so much for watching.